We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. For the gospel that was preached to us was also preached to them. But the word that was preached to them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The point that I want to highlight to us here this morning is that the word preached must be mixed with faith in the lives of those who hear it. If it's going to profit you, it's going to profit us. It's one thing to hear the word. But another thing, if you want the word to produce in your life, it has to be mixed with faith. Amen? Because we can hear the word, hear the word, hear the word, and you're wondering, like, why isn't anything happening? Because the word preached will not profit unless it is mixed with faith in those who hear it. Amen? Now, how do you know that you're actually mixing faith with the word of God? How, how can you tell? Well, one of the dynamics of faith, which we've been emphasizing over and over again, is this, that faith speaketh. Faith speaks. With a heart, man believes, but then with a the mouth, confession is made. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So how can you tell that you really have faith in something that you've heard? Well, you'll start speaking it. Because faith speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, if you really believe it, you're going to speak it. Amen. So this is how you can tell that you've mixed faith with the word you've heard. That is when you start speaking in accordance to the word of God. That you begin to say, you know, not only did you, did you hear the message that God will meet your needs, but you begin to say with your mouth, my God will supply all my needs. That's an indication you've mixed faith with the word that you've heard. Amen? So let's stand up to our feet this morning as we speak our faith and declare with our mouths that we really believe the word of God, that we have faith in God's word. I want you to hold your Bibles high up in the air. Say this out loud with me, bold and strong. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His Word. I believe His Word. And I live by His Word. Christ is my Master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. One of the things that, uh, one of the messages or studies that I wanted to do in 2008 last year, was on uh, finances. I wanted to talk, teach here on during the Sunday morning services on finances. And I put it down. We usually list out all the topics we want to cover over the course of the months to come. But somehow last year, we could really could not get to it. We had a lot of other things coming up. We started talking about revival. We started talking about the presence of God. And, and so this kind of kept get put it, pushed down the list until when I was planning for 2000, I said, okay, the first thing we're going to do in 2009 is start talking on finances. Amen? Now, don't worry. We're not going to take up an offering. <laughs> but we're going to address this whole issue, or not the whole issue, the whole subject of finances, of success, of prosperity, 
of wealth and riches. And talk about that in the house of God. Now, you know, the moment you introduce a subject like this, all of a sudden we get our spiritual masks out. and We look so spiritual. Oh, no, I have nothing to do with money. You know, I have nothing to do with wealth and riches. And don't talk about it. It's, it's far away from me. And, and we kind of, but secretly we pray, God bless me. God, please give me a job, increase, in my, increase in my salary. God, please promote. We pray that, but, you know, we kind of, theoretically, we distance ourselves from anything to do with prosperity and money and on, on and on. But I want us to come out of the closet, so to speak, and just be honest and accept and understand what the Word of God says on this subject and, uh, and believe the Word of God and pursue what God has destined or in store for us as an inheritance for His people. Amen? So we, I'm calling this uh, series uh, 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 Financial Freedom. And it's kind of interesting just given the things that are happening around the world. I think for several months now, almost every day, you're reading in the, news, you're reading in the newspapers of um, you know, just, just the turmoil that's going around the, world, around the world. Almost every nation being hit economically and uh, large organizations laying off tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, the, the whole um, turbulence financially around the world. And, uh, and this week, right in our own nation, with the Satyam fiasco, uh, all that's happening. And I think it's so appropriate for us as God's people at this juncture to get to the Word of God and say, what does God say concerning money, concerning success, concerning prosperity, concerning wealth and riches? And let's pursue what the Word of God says. Amen? So, that's what we are going to do. Now, I want to kind of, before we get into this uh, teaching this morning, I want to just uh, take a few moments to give a rather lengthy introduction. Can just talk about the background and so on and so forth, just to clear the air. Because many times when you start talking on a subject like this, uh, people are ready to take out their guns and shoot the pastor. You know, they're ready. But I want to just give you some background, just to clear the air, so that there is no misunderstanding before we get into the Word of God this morning. First of all, just as a way of background, I want us to, I want us as a congregation to understand that. I started preaching and teaching on success, on prosperity, wealth, and riches as a teenager. Okay? As a, you know, I must have been 15 or 16 when I started teaching these things in a little Bible study that I was doing at the Methodist Church right here in our city. I was teaching these things. Then I continued that through college and over the years. And, and uh, uh, even at All People's Church. Uh, the last time we did a series on this was, I think it was 2002, 2003. Those of you who were with us at the Christian Workers Center, you would remember the, uh, a series on this. So, I'm saying this not just to impress on you the fact that, uh, you know, it's not like last week I read a book and then this week we're doing the series. Or I heard a message on TV on prosperity and so we're going to talk about it. No, 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 no. This has been something that, um, that I've learned as a teenager and tried to live by to the best of my ability. I know I'm not where I want to be, but I know I have a history to this and I have a future in this. Amen. So it's not just a passing thing we're doing. It. I've tried to live by some of these things that we've, we're going to discover together. And, uh, and uh, you know, even running a business has been like a laboratory for me to, to try to apply these things in it. And I know I'm not where I want to be, but I know the Word of God will work. Amen? So keep that as a, as a background. Secondly, the moment we start talking about prosperity, wealth, riches, success, money, finances... Most Christians, or most of the church world, is very apprehensive about it. Oh, no, no, don't talk about it. Because of the immediate connotation with what is known as the prosperity message. Right? So what has happened now, 
people are distancing themselves away from the truth of God, God's word concerning success and prosperity, wealth and riches, because of the negative connotations associated with the prosperity message. Now the truth is that, especially in, our West, in the Western world, from the time this whole teaching on, on, on God's purpose to bless His people came out, there has been a lot of abuse, and it's true, we're not negating that. There have been ministers and ministries who have literally abused this, you know, have their uh, uh, extravagant lifestyles, building multi-million dollar homes, having lavish uh, uh, expenditures, cars, and all of that, all using the tithes, the offerings that people gave. And so obviously, there has been so much of negative connotation, negative thought on the whole prosperity message that people tend to distance away from the truth. Now, the, the, what I want to challenge you is this. Don't throw the baby away with the bathwater. Amen? Now, this happens to every truth in the Word of God. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. Now, a couple of years ago, we had somebody come from the United States, and uh, yeah, this was, I think, 2003 or something. I don't remember the exact year. And this was a person, you know, he, he had studied, he's a PhD, a scientist, has all these degrees from uh, Ivy League schools, and he came, and so we had him come and speak to our employees, and some of our pastors were also there at that time, uh, to speak to people in our office. And, you know, I thought, okay, you know, he's going to bring a, a message that can really relate to the people. He's, you know, has a PhD, he's graduated from all these top universities, a scientist, et cetera, et cetera. But he came and he, was, he spent about 45 minutes talking and like we really couldn't figure out what he was talking. Then he said, I want to pray for all of you for the Baptist Holy Spirit. Lined everybody up and started slapping people on the faces. Say, so speak in tongues, you know. Pushing people on the chair. I was so embarrassed. I said, you know, this is not the way you do it, you know. But what can you do? The truth is, God still pours out His Spirit and people pray in tongues. But the expression of it, the, the, the way that this person was doing it, really turned people off because you're slapping people on the faces. At least you'd have said, ouch, you know. And he said, you got it, you know. So, and then, so when he left, I sent him an email, you know, as much as I respect all his qualifications, I sent him an email, I said, you know, these are some things you do not do. You do not push people on the chairs. You don't slap people on the faces. You don't kick them on the foot. I mean, these are things you don't do. Then you're ministering to people. And as much as I respect him, I had to send that email out. And, you know, so uh, there has been always... Uh, the truth, many times, either it's exaggerated, miscommunicated, or misrepresented, uh, but that does not deny the truth. Amen. Now, you may know of people who died believing God to heal them. They refused to take medications, refused to. Uh, they said, God's my healer. They died. Did God stop being the healer? No, He's still the healer. I cannot allow a certain one's experience to deny the truth. The truth is, God is still Jehovah Rapha. Amen. So the same thing with this whole teaching on finances and what the Word of God says. Let's not, you know, because people have misinformed, miscommunicated in the West, what happened as a result of the prosperity message is that people incorrectly associated spirituality, they measured your faith in God by how wealthy you were. And that's an incorrect uh, truth or incorrect way to express the truth. Right? You cannot measure somebody's faith in God and level of spirituality with how prosperous they are. No. So all of this has caused a lot of misunderstanding and apprehension in the church. But we have to receive the truth. 
third thing, a couple of years ago, somebody asked me, they said, you know, you, know, you, you talk about God prospering us and causing us to be successful. Will this work for anyone? I mean, it probably will work for the West. It probably will work for an urban crowd. But what about the beggar on the street? What about the poor man in the village? Will this work for anyone? The truth is, God's word will work for anyone who believes it. Amen. It doesn't matter if it's a beggar on the street. It doesn't matter if it's a poor villager. God's word will work with any, for anyone in any part of the world. This is not a Western gospel. It's the word of God. Now, how it is expressed may be different in different lives. For a college student, success and prosperity may be expressed in a different way. For a farmer in a village, success and prosperity expresses in a different way. For a businessman, for a corporate professional, success and prosperity is expressed in a different way. For a college student, it might mean that he believes or he or she believes God to bless them in their studies, causing them to do better and beyond themselves and get an admission at a good college, get scholarship, etc. For a farmer, it may mean that God blesses his farming, causes him to have a harvest beyond what he could have got received uh, by his own efforts. For a businessman, it might mean that he got prosperous business. For a professor, it might mean that God causes him to uh, increase in his job, increase professionally, so on. So how it expresses itself is different for each one. But it is still that all of us believe God to bless us. Amen? The word will work for anyone who believes it. And uh, lastly, I just want to make it very clear. And I, uh, just, I mean, it might be redundant, but I just want to say this anyway. That in, in, in doing this whole series on financial freedom, in talking about God's desire to bless His people, there is no vested interest. Amen? I'm not doing this because I want you to give a bigger offering so that all our pastors can have big homes and drive big cars. And that's not it at all. Our desire is to see each one of God's people experience the fullness of His Word and what He has put in His Word. Amen? It's for us to receive what God has kept in His Word. Now I want you to see the Word with me together. As we go through this time. Um, so let's, um, let's just talk a little bit about financial freedom. What do I mean by financial freedom? To be financially free is simply to be in a place where money is no longer a controlling factor in your life. Money does not control you at all. And you're financially free. Amen? That means money is no longer controlling you. Because as long as money is controlling you, you are not free. But when you come to a place where whether you have a lot of money or no money, you're living by faith in God, you are financially free. And that's how we are called to live. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. I think in the, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 5 through 9, it's expressed for us here. The motivation, the position that you and I must have towards money. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 through 9. Here's what it says. I hope you brought your Bibles because we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. It says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and, and steal and profane the name of my God. Look at what the writer is saying here, the book of Proverbs. He's saying, God, you know, I'm not asking you for poverty. I'm not asking you for riches. 
I just want you to give me what is allotted for my life. Lord, here's what I want to avoid. I want to avoid either of these two negatives. What? If I have too much, I want to avoid saying, you know, I don't need God's. I don't need God. I have everything I need. I have all the money. I don't want to be in that position. But if I don't have anything, I don't want to be in this position where I begin to do wrong things like stealing and trying to meet my own needs through wrong methods and wrong ways. I don't want to do that either and bring reproach to the name of my God. Amen. So what's our motivation, our heart as we approach the subject of wealth and riches and success and prosperity or finances? What's our heart? The heart is this, God. Even if I have abundance, I'm going to lean on you. Even if I have nothing, I'm going to lean on you. Amen. That's my position. I'm financially free because I am dependent on the Lord. You are dependent on the Lord. Whether you have abundance, you're still leaning on God. You have nothing, you're still leaning on God. You will not do anything that brings reproach to the name of the Lord your God. Amen. So in this series on, on, on financial freedom, here's what we're going to cover. I want to begin... Uh, first spend some time dealing with wrong mindsets, misconceptions, ideas that we have, religious ideas that we carry, especially things that are so associated with our upbringing and culture. For example, you know, many people by default identify or relate great spirituality with poverty. It's by default. If somebody gives up everything, goes away to some far off place, they think he's very spiritual. In our minds, we can never relate or associate great spirituality with prosperity. We never do that. It's a wrong thinking. You'll see from the word of God. It's part of, especially part of our culture. We associate that and we therefore begin to look at the word of God through those lenses. And we begin to interpret scripture with that lens. That great spirituality is always associated with poverty. The more you give up, the more spiritual you are. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be subtracted from you. He didn't say that. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be. So great spirituality is not necessarily subtraction, it's addition. Amen? So we've got a wrong thinking. So we need to deal with our wrong mindsets. We need to redeal with our wrong thinking and get rid of some of these so-called sacred cows that are actually keeping us from pressing in to our God-ordained inheritance for us. So we're going to spend some time on that. And then we're going to discover God's principles for financial freedom. What did God say in His Word for us to come to a place where we can be financially free, experiencing the blessing of God in our lives? What can we do? And we're going to talk about practical guidelines. Practical guidelines are important because it's one thing to know the truth, but it's totally another thing to know how to live it in life. You can know the truth, but if you don't have the wisdom to translate truth into action, you can still mess up. So you need wisdom to take the truth of the word and say, God, how do I apply it in my everyday life? How do I live it out in my situation, my circumstances? So we're going to talk about those practical things, practical guidelines, so that we don't not just know the truth, but know how to live it. We're going to believe God for breakthrough into financial freedom. All of us must come to a place where money no longer controls our lives. Believe God for that breakthrough. We're also going to believe God to go to the next level financially in our lives. Amen. That you, God, that as you hear the word of God, it will work in your life. You know, one thing is so true that when the word of God is proclaimed, God will confirm his word. Amen. 
So when this word concerning financial freedom is going forth through the congregation over the next several weeks, God will begin to confirm his word in our lives. So be open to expect and believe it. Say, God, your word, as I'm hearing it, is creating faith in my heart. I receive it. I mix faith with it. It's going to profit me. It's going to cause something to happen in my life in the realm of finances. So this morning, in the first part of this series, we want to talk about God and wealth. God and wealth. You know, again, a wrong notion that we have is that God and wealth are two separates. We think that somewhere in the scripture, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed wealth away from me, says the Lord God Almighty. Somewhere in the Bible it's there. That God and wealth are just two opposites. But it doesn't. So the first truth you and I must understand is that God is not averse or allergic, if you will, to success, prosperity, and amen. He's not averse to this. Why? Because look at scripture now. Because the Bible tells us in Psalms 24 verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness. Of it. The earth belongs to God. The very first chapter of the book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, God created the world. It was so beautiful. There was abundance. There was no poverty in it. And in fact, in the Garden of Eden, gold was on the ground. The rivers flowing there in chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, it says, and there was the gold lying there next to the river. Who created the gold? Not Ganjam. God created the gold. Amen. God created it. He created the wealth that's in this world. In Psalm 50, verse 10, he says, Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. Psalm 50, verse 10. All the livestock, the wealth of the animals and of all creation, God says, it's mine. I own it, he says. The book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Very interesting. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. I'm just going to go a little fast here. I hope just flip with me in the Bible. Haggai, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. God says, I will shake all nations, and they will come to the desire of all nations. That's the Lord. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. What's he saying? What God's literally saying is, I'm going to shake the nations and all the silver, all the wealth of the nations is going to come into my house. Is what he is saying in Haggai chapter 2, 7 and 8. I'm going to shake the nations. The wealth of the nations will come in. He said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Who owns the wealth of this world? God owns it. Amen. And we might use currency to uh, define or uh, um, calculate or determine wealth. But in the end, it all belongs to God. Amen? So we have this wrong notion that God, success and prosperity and wealth do not mix. You know, we think this. We think God is spirit. Therefore, he has nothing to do with this material world. Excuse me. 
God is spirit, true. But he created the material worlds. He put you and me in charge. He put man in charge of the material worlds. So God's very interested in what happens to his world. God is very interested in what happens to the things that he has placed in this world. Amen. So God, not, God is not averse to this whole thing. In fact, heaven's streets are paved with gold. Amen. Man, if he didn't like gold, he wouldn't have paved the streets with gold. Heaven's streets are paved with gold. So let's get rid of this wrong idea that God and wealth and prosperity, they don't go together. No, no, no. God created all this. He's very interested in whose hands it goes to. He's very interested in what his people do with what is in their hands. He's very, very interested in seeing his people have more of it so they can carry out his purposes here on earth. Amen. The second thing that we must understand is this, that God does bless his people with success, prosperity, and wealth. You know, many times we pray, God bless. And in our minds, we're only thinking there's only spiritual blessing. I'm only thinking, God, more righteousness, more holiness, more anointing, more revelation. All of this is wonderful. But in scripture, when we talk about blessing, the scripture also includes in the word blessing, material prosperity and success it's contained in that word blessing we will look at scripture so throughout the word God blesses his people with this amen now just again to interject here you know somebody visited our church a long time ago and they pulled me out they said you know when I come to this church you only talk about money I was really like fired for that I was wondering like oh Excuse me, what, what do you think we do all the Sunday services, you know? We talk about a lot of different things, amen? Those who have been here and awake during the services, say amen. <laughs> we talk about a lot of different things, but it just so happens that at this point in time, we are, we are kind of settling on this subject. We're trying to understand and discover this. So for the next few Sundays, we're going to be talking about this subject. But, you know, after a few Sundays, we're going to get into something else and build different areas of our lives from the Word of God. Amen? So we're not just focusing only on this. This is part of one of the many things we do. Now, how many of you read the book of Psalms? Let me see. Okay. How many of you believe the book of Psalms? But it's the Old Testament. Old Testament. You believe the Old Testament? You think the book of Psalms is for us? Okay. We're going to go through several verses of the book of Psalms. Because sometimes, you know, when you start teaching the word, people tell you, oh, that's the Old Testament. I mean, don't you believe Psalms? Don't you believe that Psalms is applicable to us today? Of course. We believe the word. It includes the old and the new. Now look at this in Psalm. Let's just run through Psalms. Psalm 24, verse 1 to 5 says this. We read this. The earth is the Lord's all its fullness. The world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas, established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, what will happen to this man? Verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord. What will happen? He will receive blessing from the Lord. This man who is able to ascend the hill of the Lord who has clean hands, a pure heart. The Bible says he will receive blessing from the Lord. Now immediately in our minds we only think spiritual blessing. That is good. You're very spiritual. Appreciate you for it. But in the Bible, the word blessing also includes material things. Amen. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says, 
The blessing of the Lord makes one terribly poor. Sorry, it's not in the Bible. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow. What does God's blessing do? It makes one to the poor person on the street, when he hears his word, he believes it. You know, at least he can go two levels higher from where he was. And maybe he can give his children a better start in life. He's been a success. Now, he may not have gone to a big home, but at least he's moved from a hut to a better home. He's been able to give his children education by believing that God will bless him. Amen. So this is how this message can mean something to everybody. Even to the poor man on the street. If he will believe that the blessing of the Lord will make him rich, he will rise up beyond where he is. Come to a new level so that at least his children can go up from there to higher levels socially and economically. Look at the very first Psalm. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Now, I kind of skipped the slide a little earlier on. I just wanted to make a, a, a he talked about this. People had lots of questions and it's good to have questions. So if you have questions and comments to make as we're going on this, you're most welcome. Oh, two suggestions. First, please wait till we go on through the series, right? Because sometimes your questions may be answered the next Sunday or the following Sunday as we cover uh, piece by piece of uh, various parts of this teaching. Secondly, if you have a pressing question, you just need to have it answered, you're most welcome to email me. I think the email was on one of the slides earlier. You're just most welcome to email. I'll do my best to answer, right? Sometimes my answer might be, please wait till the third Sunday, because we've got to deal with it then. Or sometimes I can give you an answer immediately if, you, if it's appropriate. But if you have comments, have questions, you know, feel free. We need to discuss. You're most welcome to do that. Let's go to Psalm 1. You said you believe the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Blessed is the man. Again, blessing. God's blessing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. He delights in the word of God. He meditates in the day and night. What's he going to be like? He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Means he will thrive. He will bring forth his fruit in its season. His leaf will not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. You believe Psalms? Believe the Psalm 1, it says, you're blessed, you fear God. Whatever you do will prosper. You will thrive, you'll flourish. Psalm 112, verse 1, 2, and 3. Psalm 112, verses 1, 2, and 3. Praise the Lord, blessed again. Blessed, this is blessing. What is the blessing? Blessed, whom is it for? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. This is the blessing. What is his blessing? Verse 2, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. His children will be blessed. Wealth and riches, righteousness endures forever. Now, some of us, we are very spiritual. So we put on our spiritual lenses. We read verse 3 and we say, wealth and riches will be in his house. So we say, God, thank you. When I come to heaven, Lord, in my mansion in heaven, there will be wealth and riches. That is true. But that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, wealth and riches will be in your house, meaning your house here on earth. 
Verse 2 doesn't say his children will be blessed in heaven. It says his children will be blessed on earth. So it implies that verse 3 is also talking about your life on earth. Wealth and riches will be in your house. Amen. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears God. Again, blessing for those who fear God. Blessed is everyone. Psalm 128 verses 1 through 4. Blessed is everyone who fears God, who walks in His ways. So you're walking in the ways of God. There's blessing on your life. Here's what the blessing will do for you. You will eat the labor of your hands. You'll be happy and it will go well with you. It will go well with you. Everything will go well. This is what the Word says. Amen. It says your wife will be a fruitful wine in your house. Your children like all the plants around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears God. There's this blessing that God has for His people. God does bless His people with success and prosperity, wealth and riches. He does bless His people. Proverbs 22 verse 4. Proverbs 22 verse 4. It says, by humility and the fear of the Lord is poverty, more poverty and more and more poverty. It doesn't say that. It says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches Honor and, a, and life or a good life. Amen. So we think that, you know, if we honor God, we fear God, we're just going to end up so poor. But that's not what the word says. By, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and a long life. Good life is what the word says. Amen. Think about people in the Bible. I just want to run through some of the people that you and I are familiar with. Think about Job. You know, we do not have a chronological time for Job's suffering. We know that he lived, people say, this is not from the Bible, but people say, you know, Job must have been about 70 years before he experienced his trials. So for 70 years, he enjoyed life. He had grown up children, everything was going well. And then he had a brief period when which he suffered, which could have been just a few months, and then he enjoyed the rest of his life. But we have the book of Job that, that focuses on that suffering. But some of us take that book of Job and say, I am Job, I'm today's Job. My whole life is one of suffering. Please. That must have been a few months, a small period of his life. Read the end of the book of Job. This is Job's life. You want to be like Job? Believe for this. Job 42 verse 10 to 12. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Who gave it to him? God. The devil came to take it away. But God gave him twice as much. Now the people thought that God took it. They thought wrong. Just like modern day Christians. So the Job's people, you know, verse 11 says, is all his brothers, sisters came and uh, they, you know, they ate food with him. So Job must have served good biryani. They all showed up and uh, they consoled him. They comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. See, they thought wrong because God didn't bring that adversity. We know from the chapters 1 and 2, it was Satan who went from the presence of the Lord and smote Job. It's a thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. People thought wrong. They thought God did it. But what was God actually doing? Next verse reiterates what God was doing. Now the Lord blessed the latter end, latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had all of this. God blessed him more. God does bless his people. Amen. Think about Abraham. 
You know, sometimes we have the wrong idea that God only calls poor people. So to be called by God, you have to be terribly poor. The Bible says in Genesis 13 verse 2, Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and gold and God called him. God called a rich man and made him the father of faith. Amen. Now don't get me wrong. God uses all kinds of people. He will take the poorest of the poor. He can also take the richest of the rich and he'll use them for his glory. Amen. But understand that God blesses his people. He took Abraham. What did he do? He made him even more richer. Because you go to the 24th chapter of Genesis um, and look what God did for Abraham. Genesis 24 verse 1 it says, Abraham was old and well advanced, rich. And verse chapter 24 says, God blessed him even more. Amen. So we got to change our thinking. God took, he was already a rich man. but God blessed him even more. It says God, the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Now, many times when we think of, uh, you know, blessing, we only think of Abraham's spiritual blessing. True, Abraham was blessed spiritually. He was called a friend of God. Righteousness was given to him. God answered his prayer. That was part of it. What was the other part of Abraham's blessing? It tells us right there in that same chapter as he continues in verse 34 and 35, Abraham's servant speaks. He says, the Lord has blessed my master greatly. He's become great. He's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. He's blessed my master greatly, and he's given him all of this. Increased. Same thing with Isaac, Abraham's son. Genesis 26, 12 to 14 says, Isaac was a farmer. He sowed in that land, and the same year he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord... Let me hear Because the Lord blessed him. Now, when you pray for people, do you pray God curse him or God bless him? Let me hear you. You say, God bless him. We all pray that way. What does the blessing of the Lord do? One aspect, blessing of the Lord, it causes increase. A hundredfold return on what he did. None of us ever pray, say, God, I love this sister. Curse her, Lord. You will never have anybody in the prayer line. But God blessed him. Verse 13 says, the man began to prosper because of God's blessing. He continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Others were jealous of him. Think about Jacob. You know, how would you like your boss to say this to you? Jacob, fortunately, unfortunately, ended up working for his uncle for a period of time. His uncle was his employer. And so when J Jacob gave in his, you know, resignation... His uncle looked at it and he said, this is what he had to say in Genesis chapter 30, verse 27 to 28. Now, how would you like your employer to say this to you? Laban said to him, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I've learned by experience, the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name your package and I will give it to you. Just tell me what you want, your compensation. Just tell me what you want. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. That was the blessing of the Lord on Jacob's life. God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about Joseph. He was sold into Potiphar's house. Genesis 39, 1 to 5. He was working for Potiphar. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. How many of you believe the Lord's with you? Yeah. He's with us. The same God. The Lord was with Joseph. What happened to Joseph? He was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. 
God was with him, made him to prosper. God is no respecter of persons. He does the same to us. Deuteronomy 8.18. There's a couple of scriptures on this point. Deuteronomy 8.18. This is what God promised to the people of Israel. He says, you will remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Is wealth a bad thing? Is getting wealth a bad thing? If it was, then God is causing you to sin. Because it says he gives you the power to get wealth. Why does he do it? That he may establish his covenant that he made to your fathers. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in order to establish, validate that covenant in your day, in your generation. He's going to put in your hands the ability to make wealth. And do you know the, the, the New Testament says that you and I are Abraham's seed. We inherit the same covenant, Abraham's covenant. So Deuteronomy 8.18 holds good for you and me today. Amen. So there are several scriptures on this. Now, two more points that I want to just share and then wrap up. The third thing here that is, is this, that God has taught us how to be successful, how to prosper, how to use wealth. He's given instructions in the word of God. Not only does he bless us, but then he tells us, okay, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to handle the resources I've given to you. I will entrust them to you, but this is what I want you to do with it. For example, he has taught us to honor God with it. Now, the verse we referred to earlier, Matthew 6, 33, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, how sad it is. Many of us come up and testify. The day I started seeking God, God took away my bike. Next, he took away my shoes. Then he took away my nice jeans pant. He just kept taking everything away. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added. Some of our testimony does not testify to the word. And then we all clap. Wonderful, very spiritual brother. He sought first the kingdom and his righteousness and God subtracted everything from his life. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things, these material things, what you eat, what you drink, what you, where you live, will be added to you, not taken away from you. Now, you may choose to pass it on. You may choose to give it up. That's your choice. You may choose to give up a good home because you want to go somewhere and serve God. You may choose when God puts it in your hands to pass it off. That's your choice. But God adds to your life and he trusts you to do what he, what, whatever you want to do with it. God has taught us what to, you know, how to manage our money, what to do with it. He has also warned us about certain things. For example, in Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, Beware of covetousness because a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. So God has warned us about these things. Amen? So God does prosper us, but he has given us instructions. And we have to discover those principles. Discover the truth. What did God say? How must I handle the resources that God has put in my hands, whether it's much or little, I must be faithful. How must I do it right? Is what we want to discover. Amen? I'm going to close with this. The fourth point is this, that God hates poverty. God hates poverty. I did not say that God hates the poor. I said God hates poverty. God loves the sinner, but he hates sin. God loves the sick person, but he hates sickness. God loves the poor but he hates poverty. Amen? Those of you doing social work, if you're trying to uplift people and you don't believe that God hates poverty, it means you're going against God. You better repent. God hates poverty. A simple 
way to validate this is in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. You read the 28th chapter. There are blessings and there are cursings. And in the blessings, God says, I will bless you. I will prosper you. I'll increase you. Under the curses is poverty, is sickness, and all those kinds of things. And God says, follow me. You'll have the blessings. In his word, he says, I set before you, 30th chapter of Deuteronomy, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. My advice to you, God says, is choose life. Choose the blessing. Amen. You've got to make a choice. The church today is so religiously bound that the moment we start talking about wealth and riches, no, 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 I cannot do it. But I tell you, I've, I've spent hours of studying the word and just saying this again, for you to have the confidence that this is the word of God. I've led you through chapter and verse. God blesses his people. Amen. This morning, all I want us to do is to allow God to change our heart and our minds. Because you can never receive something you are allergic to. I mean, in the natural, you'd receive it all the time, but I'm talking about in the spiritual. If you are, don't want wealth and riches, then you're not going to receive it. You're going to distance yourself away. But God wants to place it in your hands so that you can use it for His kingdom. He wants to trust you, teach you what to do with the resources He places in your hands. So to begin to receive it, you must at least be open to say, yes, God, I believe that you can bless me. And I'm going to be faithful to study your word, find out what, how I must use this. I will, fall, I will fall into neither side of the ditch. I will not go to the place when it increases that I will say, I got it on my own. Neither will I go to the other side when I have nothing. I will start doing the wrong things to acquire it. I will not fall into either side of the ditch. But I am solely leaning on you, God, and want to do what you want me to do. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.